Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Eason here with Louis D'Souza and Amy Blackford. And this is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And it's, we're happy to have Amy back. It's been a few weeks since she was able to last join us, but uh, she's got her smile on. She's got her joy on. You can just see it in her face today. And it's good to see yes, you back. Yes, I'm, I'm really excited to be back. It's been a wonderful few weeks and filled with lots of contrast. <laughs> lots of contrast. Yes. Well, that's a good thing, I believe. You know, that, that's... It, it is. It makes me appreciate the good. There's been all sorts of things going on, as, as it has been for everyone, I'm sure. I think it's called living, isn't it? Yeah, it's Pretty called sure. life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of living, uh, we've also been getting some real good life out of our listeners, including uh, Deborah, who, of course, is Deborah's actually become one of our number one email writers. She likes to, I think she probably is number one right now in terms of the most emails that content sent in. as well. Content, yeah. She, she's like content creator, right? And uh, she sent us, Louie, a, a message about last week's show. And she also gave us another email suggesting something about today's show. And so I think we got plenty to talk about in addition to the fact that Amy has a topic for us. So we may not get this all into an hour. And, and Louie's got something, too. Okay, so we got to turn the clock on here. You know, okay, time it. Make sure we don't go over time. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to read, uh, first of all, what she had written to us about last week's show, because I know you'd be interested in this. She said, first of all, she loved your story about how you found your Kung Fu instructor uh, and talk about when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. She said it was reminiscent of the Carlos Castaneda books or the key of the peaceful warrior. Yes. I love his books. Me too. She said, I guess he really taught him all he needed to know in that first lesson when you receive a blow, getting your eyes back on the target. So when you invite contrast, put your focus exclusively on the direction that you want to go, on the opposite mm-hmm. end of the stick, as Abraham might say. And there's nothing to be gained in dwelling on the blow you received, but everything to be gained in focusing on the other end of the stick, the direction that you really want to go in. Or at least that's how I interpreted it, she said. And though the discussion I felt I, I felt was slightly into the realms of navel-gazing with the unique or not aspect, we, we spent a little time on the word unique, um, as ever, it turned into another insightful and helpful discussion. So many thanks to the both of you. And, oh, the punishment discussion brought to mind the subject of restorative justice, which used to interest me greatly. Definitely a step in the right direction within the present societal constraints. So no, hmm. I definitely agree there. Yes. Okay. So there's uh, what she said la- about last week's show. And then she sent in another email today um, about a topic that I've addressed a few times here on the show because it's something that I've experienced, uh, aphantasia. Uh, and she says, have just joined a writer's group and someone brought up the subject of aphantasia, the inability to form a mental image. And I'm pretty sure this is something I heard you allude to uh, a few years ago. Well, actually, yeah, more recently than that, but sure, a few years ago, I probably brought it up then. Um, she says, this has really sparked an interest in me as it's something that I've always had too, I'm able to conjure an extremely vague picture, but if I try to focus on it, it sort of slips off the page, melts away. It's extremely vague anyway, almost to the point that it's barely there. In fact, I'm not even sure that the image is there at all, or if it's just that I know that I know what it looks like, (laughs) if that makes any sense. Anyway, it makes sense to me, Deborah. I totally buy into what you're saying. She says, I certainly don't consider it as a negative attribute, 
but it has made me ponder a lot about how it, fe- it affects our perception of the world as we are all creating our realities. It's all in the perception, and evidently ours is very different to most. I just read that only about 3% of the population perceive or don't in this way. So many possible re- repercussions. I see why words have been huge for me and have also attached such great importance to them. And what I've read so far about this, which admittedly isn't much, people aren't talking about the feeling aspect of those who don't clearly see images in their mind's eye. Boy, I agree with that. For me, that's massive when, for example, Abraham talks about conjuring up a feeling of joy. Boom, I'm right there. I wonder if we actually feel things more intensely as a result of this attribute. Don't want to say condition. If we can't picture something, we naturally turn our attention to how it feels to us. Anyway, I just thought it might possibly be an area of interest for discussion or not. I sort of imagine Louis possibly having fun with this one. So I don't know if you'll have fun with this one, Louis, but uh, there it is. And and I just wanted to add, I agree that uh, when one sense in terms of what we're trying to imagine doesn't work as well, the others kick in. I mean, she mentioned uh, specifically how, let's see, how did she phrase it? Um, feeling, yeah, how feeling was the, the big thing. Uh, and certainly feeling does kick in easier for me. For me, sound is big. Sound is really, really big. Touch is big too. So I can pretty easily imagine touching something or being touched. And I can pretty easily imagine um, hearing something or uh, even generating a, a sound of my own. Uh, in fact, I'm one of those people who can you know, hear like a, a symphony in my mind. I can hear all the instruments individually. I can pick out the clarinet from the trombone, from the from the violin. But ask me to visualize a picture of a person walking in a park. I'm really in trouble at that point. So. My <laughs> great-grandmother was blind by the time she was 30. Oh, my. And I wow. used to ask her as a child, you know, I couldn't imagine not being able to see because I was such a visual person, being an artist, mm. even being a writer. One thing that intrigued me as a child was I could literally, as I was reading – it was like seeing a movie in my mind. So it would just suck <laughs> me right into the story. And it really, it I don't want to say it traumatized me as a child, knowing that my great-grandmother couldn't see, but it was something that I was constantly inquisitive about. How do you cope with this? How What is this like? And she told me, quite frankly, that it enhanced her other, it enhanced her other sensory input, like you're saying, sound, taste, touch. And so she was more acute, she was more acutely aware of sounds, the way she would get around on her own, cook, clean, it was, it was actually quite incredible. So her sight started going by the time she was 20. So she was born, she was able to see. And then it slowly was gone. By the time she was 35, it was completely gone. And so she did know the difference, but the thing that, so she could compare it. It's not like somebody that's just born without sight. So she said, as the years went on, she just noticed it first started with sound and her sense of touch, because that was how she would get around was sound and touch. And the way things echoed off of each other, the feel of certain, you know, the wallpaper versus the wood paneling, the carpet transitioning to tile. So this was her way of kind of acclimating herself to wherever she was. So I do think that when one thing is taken away, definitely it is made up for in other areas. What do you think, Louis? Um, I, I completely agree with you. And going to Deborah's question, you know, different people tend to focus on different 
you know, our bodies are vibrational interpreting machines. So, you know, we've got the five physical senses and different people tend to hone in on different areas. I'm a bit like um, Walt. I'm very much into the feeling kind of aspect of things, specifically on an energy level. But I'm not 100% sure if that feeling on an energy level is to do with feeling in the fingertips. Um, so I'm not 100% sure of that. One thing I'd love to have asked your grandmother would have been, because she had already had her sight and then lost it, was she still able to visualize in her mind as a, a tree or a scene that she had seen when she did have her eyesight? You know, was she still able she to? Was, she was at first. It was my great-grandmother, my nanny. She was able to at first, but over time, she started replacing. So at first, when she started losing her eyesight, she could see things in her mind quite clearly. Mm -hmm. As time went on, those images in her mind became replaced with what she thought they looked like. And as more time went on, it just became basically complete darkness. There was no imagery that went with it. And that was the part I was cognitive at that point. That was the part that scared me. It would be like constantly being in the dark. And I, and that's why I asked her so many questions about it. Mm -hmm. And she was, she was had such a great sense of humor and she actually lived into her nineties, um, with this. And did, did you find out what she replaced that visual visualization with? Did you get was, clarity about the, the depth and the perception that she could feel? Um, here. So. Yes, it was mostly instead of it being visual images, like we would say, say looking at a photograph or a painting, it was more blocks of energy, imprints mm -hmm. of energy. Um, so she could still almost perceive light and shadow. So there was still some sense of a visual, but it was, it was very obscure. Mm -hmm. It was really her taste, her touch and sound was so amplified. It was almost as if it's not that she didn't miss seeing. And this was the part now that we're having this conversation that kind of boggles me. because I'm just now kind of snapping it into place. But it was like because her senses were so amplified in the other areas, it didn't um, upset her that her sight was gone. Hmm. Which makes sense to me. It makes a lot of sense. Um, right. I mean, what? My, my my sense of vision in general is not my best anyway. I mean, I've had glasses since I was like five or six. And uh, over time, my, my vision has not improved the way I would like it to, although it has improved in the last five years or so, which is interesting. By a small interesting, amount. isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is interesting how that works. <laughs> but uh, uh, in general, my eyesight still is not anywhere near what I would like it to be. And I'm actually blind straight ahead in my left eye. So oh wow okay one of the, one of the things I, I um it's a combination of a, a macular degeneration but I also had a retina injury that I didn't know about that basically wiped it out um but uh, the thing that has been kind of like the adjunct that comes along with it the corollary the you know consequence whatever you want to call it is that I really appreciate the other eye a whole lot more now. Right. <laughs> just, just because I can still see, you know, I can't see great. I, my, I mean, with, with uh, corrective lenses, I can certainly see well enough to drive or to read or whatever, but I know I can just tell my vision is not all that wonderful. It used to be better than it was when I was a kid, for instance, um, even though it has improved in the last few years. And even so, I mean, I'm more celebratory about colors now than I was when I was a kid. 
Right. To me, it's like, oh, wow, orange, red, green, yellow, blue, purple. Like, oh, this is so cool. When I was a kid, it's like, oh, colors. Yeah. <laughs> that was about it. You know? <laughs> it's interesting. Spiritually speaking, I am more of a feeler, like what you were saying, Louie. I feel energy more than I interpret it visually. But I have very vivid lucid dreams to the point that I can remember exactly the detail of what I saw. It's like hypervision. It's better than the vision that I have here. Um, and now are you also what they call a, a true lucid dreamer? In other words, where you can actually yes, participate? I wake or, up. Okay. All of a sudden, something will trigger. I have little uh, things that I do as well to remind myself that I'm dreaming. I will start repeating out loud in the dream. I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. And I'll say it enough times. <laughs> then I start. I will start controlling and manipulating the situation. It's wild fun for anybody that's never <laughs> tried this. Oh, goodness. The minute you realize you're dreaming, I will have a trigger of something seems off and I'll be like, I'm dreaming, but I repeat it to myself at least three times while in the dream and I'll like scream it out basically. I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming. And then once I claim it, I can start, you know, flying and painting the sky different colors and doing all sorts of fun things. It's really fun. I have a really good time with that. They they call that the natural progression from dreaming to conscious dreaming to out-of-body experience. Yes. Which is very lucid dreaming, really. It is. It's the next step beyond that. To me, I am consciously out of body. Mm. Lucid dream still feels like I'm in my body in the dream state, but I'm conscious of it. And then out-of-body is that next level of where I'm now outside of my body and able to explore. Where you're more able to take control of your environment, yeah. Yeah. Direction and destination focus. Yes. But, but uh, I... my... <clears throat> sorry, my brother, um, he was over and uh, we were chatting. I was chatting to him and he just blew my mind away because he says he's recently got to the ability of uh, any time he wants to creating a scene in his mind, like let's say an ancient Egyptian scene. And then starting to make an entire movie out of it and all the rest of it. And completely tuning into the vibration of the old, let's say, Egyptian era. And then having all the characters and everything starting to move around. And he can do this at will now. Oh, I love that. Which is just (laughs) unbelievable. You know, for me to hear that, that my brother could do that, it's like, wow. You know, and I... You know, he kind of thinks like anybody should be able to kind of do this. You know, know, people kind of gifts get that kind of point of view. Um, you know, before I did out-of-body experiences, I thought, you know, this is just a myth. It doesn't actually exist. And, you know, I went to these seminars and I looked at all these books. And, and then when you're actually doing it, and then you yeah. start thinking, oh, everybody should be able to do it, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I was really surprised because he's always told me how in the shower he gets all these incredible ideas and these visions and these ideas of what to do. And I never realized that it had progressed to this level and this, this depth and density and clarity um, Actually, since I started this show, I told you all that, you know, I'd, I had purposefully learned how to do the OBEs, and then I kind of took a step back from it, and now they're just happening, you know, randomly or spontaneously. I have noticed an uptick in how much I'm having OBEs now again hmm. since starting this show, and I have to say, when it, it first started happening, I want to say probably about two months ago, and I've noticed an increase in them um, since coming up on the new year and after. And it actually, I'm going to admit this, it scared me 
because it started happening almost every night when I was going to sleep. I could feel myself leaving my body. And it's a very strange sensation. If you've ever done an OBE and you're conscious while this is happening, I don't want to say it feels like you're dying because I don't want to scare people from it. But it's a <laughs> very odd. There is an aspect odd, of that, that's for sure. It's really beginning. on that brink of, wow, I'm separating from my body and it can be a little bit unnerving. But I found myself this time uh, at the maturity level I'm at with all of this, really embracing it and like almost like hugging myself into it. That's the only way I can explain it, where I, I thought, higher self, I trust you. I trust this process, you know, and really just kind of letting go and having some pretty fun things happen. So I just kind of wanted to add that in there. It's been a a lot of fun. (laughs) There's two aspects I wanted to bring up. One is the... It's so exhilarating, vibrating at that higher frequency. Yes. And it's the radio which you are tuning into a different station. And once I looked at it from that point of view, this is the second point, is it wasn't so scary anymore because now I'm not looking at it from the point of view of leaving my body. Right. There's no leaving my body. There's just tuning into a different station. Um, and, and that's what it feels like. This knob is being turned and you're just... Yeah changing a vibration yeah this is interesting this started off as a conversation about aphantasia and all of a sudden we're talking about massive visualization (laughs) so back to aphantasia my my husband has this to direct this at deborah and it um he's a musician he he loves looking at art he's very creative and it's actually something that has bothered him because going into the meditative state or any of these kind of more thought provoking moments, he would think, why can't I see, you know, I feel these things and I see them with my eyes open, but when I close my eyes and I want to visualize, that's why reading for him is not the same experience as it is for me. He loves movies because he cannot create that mental image like I can. And I would have to say. "Hmm?" Audible books, are they any better? Yes, but it's still lacking that visual aspect that a movie does where you're getting the story and the visual. So for someone like me, like even when I write, it's like what your uh, brother was describing. I'm in the room, you know, in the pyramids with the Egyptians, and I'm literally just transcribing as if they're, as if I'm like sneaking in there and they don't even know I'm there. And the scene comes in so strong that I'm there. I transcribe it, and then when it fades out, I'm done writing. Sometimes that lasts for an hour. Sometimes it would last for three. Sometimes it only lasts for 15 minutes. But as a as an author, that's why I became so intrigued with writing stories, because I would participate in this kind of almost, you know, alternate reality that I would enter into. So I can see why people that don't have that ability feel like they're missing out on something. But I will say that my husband has a sense of sound he can hear like across the house in the basement something happens, and his he, he his, hears all the ghosts wandering around. <laughs> right, <laughs> he has senses that I don't, and and therefore I think it's kind of like a give and take. So if you don't have that ability to maybe visualize things, it's putting the focus on the things that you really do have, and understanding that those are probably more developed than a person that can visualize things really well. From from an LOA perspective, I would recommend that people work with their strengths. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason that I even knew that this was an issue after my first 20 years of life was about 40 years ago, a movie came out 
starring a very, very young Dennis Quaid called Dreamscape, which showed this very, very vivid dream environment as part of the movie. And I thought, oh, well, that's really cool. And I was expressing to other people, wouldn't it be great if that's the way dreams were? And they said, that's the way my dreams are. And that's when I finally realized that. You're like, oh, I'm I different. Was... <laughs> <laughs> I thought everybody was like me. <laughs> Uh, you know, humanity, humanity's dug up a lot of labels. They've got labels for everything. And once Absolutely. people find a label, sometimes they feel a bit happier and sometimes it traps them. So, again, um, labeling is not something I'm hugely fond of. But, again, it did give you a sense of relief and release to know that you're not the only one out there who's got yes, it's true. a challenge visualizing. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it is quite – quite. Um... The other thing I wanted to say is when I was young, I – you know, there wasn't any TV, didn't exist, etc. But what I did is every Friday night I was allowed to take my sleeping bag, put it on the floor next to the stereo, hi-fi stereo uh, speaker with a, with a pillow, and I would listen to The Mind of Tracy Dark, Squad Cars, High Adventure. <laughs> um, nice. <laughs> and, and on all these incredible uh, things, and my, my imagination just went... <laughs> mm. And I reckon that has carved a lot of what's happened in my life. You know, um, the mind of Tracy Dark was all about the star master, a master, and she had the ability to bend spoons and open locks and things like that. So, you know, my, my mind was like really filled with all these visualizations. And then, of course, I started digging into the whole background of these, but it really helped my visualization is the point I brought it into this conversation. Um, and you won't know how happy I was. And the whole family left me alone. I was there with only the left-hand speaker on and the low volume, and everybody else did what they wanted to. <laughs> um, and, you know, in South Africa, on the mountains, in the middle of nowhere, um, listening to all these incredible things. And then, you know, I also did crazy things like um, every musical my parents ever went to, they brought back the LP, huge LP, and oh, I used my. to play it, and I used to be able to – you know, sing every single song of Joseph and the Technicolored dream coat and, <laughs> and salad days and, you know, all these things. I, I had all of them. And West Side Story is one of my favorites. So, mm -hmm. And I used to, when everybody got out the house, I used to run around the table in the lounge, um, singing all these songs and jumping over it and, and just having a complete fun. <laughs> so, you know, you, you create your own world out of what you have available at the time. And that's what everybody does. As you're describing that, instead of an image going to my mind, I had a song going through my mind. When right. you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Maria, Maria, Maria. The most beautiful sound I ever heard. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, the image, imagery as well of all the musicals was incredible. Um, they really stimulate the words the flow the feel of the story and i really love that um, i'm a very big fan of musicals although having been to some of the london musicals i felt a bit let down it just doesn't feel <laughs> they weren't quite your thing i ain't done getting old <laughs> <laughs> now the inner planes and flying around and doing my stuff is a little more exciting <laughs> That's cool, though. That's good. That's growth yeah. is what that is. That means that yeah. you've developed so much with your inner conversation that 
it's becoming more interesting than what they're creating on stage. <laughs> well, when you look at um, what's on the news, I'd much rather create my own world than live in that Well, there's one. that too, yeah. <laughs> oh, that segues right into what I had written Walt about. I know we don't talk politics on this show, which I'm a no, good never. fan of because we hear enough of that. However, I did want to segue into um, just – sending out, uh, which I know we're already doing on this show with LOA today, but to our, our viewers, tensions, especially here in the States, are very high right now. Everyone knows why. We don't need to reiterate it. And I myself am finding, I don't want to say I'm getting drawn into it because I'm conscious of what I'm doing. I'm, I am participating in the dialogue to a certain extent. And here's the reason why. I feel like my perspective is a, is a valid and needed one. And I feel like that I'm at a point in my own evolution and being able to play in the contrast, so to speak, that it doesn't consume me and take me over. Yes. With that said, I'm also noticing when it does start taking me over, meaning I'm now in there right fighting and participating. And what I see is a huge global problem. It's not just in our country, it's with humans in general. And it's this <laughs> lack of ability to accept that we can have different perspectives and respect that instead of trying to force feed our perspective to others and get them to agree with us. It's, it, to me, that is a very immature way of approaching communication. It's, it's you trying to validate that your way is the right way. So, when so at the end of the saying? day, it's just your perspective. So, so, so what you're saying is that everybody can have their own philosophy and idea of what's right and wrong. I am. <laughs> no, it is revolutionary. Just imagine everybody going which way. <laughs> but, but I just wouldn't want to that remind be... people of that right now? I think it's important. <laughs> but, but wouldn't that be you know like something horrible like freedom? Yeah, yeah, freedom, <laughs> freedom of expression. You know, humans kind of working together towards a greater good. And I do, I, I know I'm, I'm being playful about it because there needs to be a playfulness to help balance us out. So that's what I want to recommend and the way that I've been finding my balance. Find the humor, Quit taking this stuff so damn seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's <right>. serious. <laughs> it's easy to do. But at the same do. time, is it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like just take a deep breath. And remember that there is more good in this world than there is bad. And the more you focus on the bad, guess what? What's going to happen, Louie? <laughs> in your own world, you're going to bring more of it to you. <laughs> there we go. That's the basics of LOA, yeah. law of attraction. It really works, folks. So the more you focus on the negative in people and the people you don't agree with, and this is wrong and this and that, that's the more of that you're going to experience. And it's going to be a self-perpetuating downward spiral. And I think we're kind of at that crossroads right now is I just want to encourage our audience, our viewers, our listeners to really start taking control of that because you could get really sucked down in this time of very high contrast, very polarized. I don't want to diminish that, but you can play in it. You can have fun with it. You can participate in it and you can also thrive within it. I'm always thinking that the listeners that are listening to this are already kind of there. But to expand it, if they keep their focus and their clarity, they can help the others around them. 
Yes. And so it is a, a ripple effect that goes out and out. It's like just putting one drop in the water. Just what That's what I want to encourage out. because there can be an escapism where it's like, hey, I know better. I'm not going to participate in this because I don't want it messing with my vibe. I decided I, I feel like I'm prepared to be able to interject when I feel called to and only when I feel called to. And I don't want to say risk my own vibration getting thrown off, but I know how to have my, my, you know, go into feelings of anger or whatever, you know, reactionary stuff and then pull myself out of it for the greater good. I feel like when I feel called to interject, I want to be able to do so. And I would like to encourage others that are practicing LOA today. Instead of just retreating, we need more people that are willing to add into this dialogue in a positive way to kind of balance it out a little bit. I'm calling and all of you word warriors. Only... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you'll only be able to do that when you've built your own confidence up. You really That's have true. to. You really it, have to. You need like to I have said, I'm calling myself base, out here. Understanding. I have my own moments where I can feel it sinking its teeth into me. And I'm like, okay, balance it back out. You're not going to do yourself or Turn anybody around, go any the other good way. here. <laughs> so yeah, it does. It takes some, it takes some practice. That's for sure. You hit the key word too. When you said vibe. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the really cool part. It's not like we have, especially in a, in a high contrast, high polarity time. It's not like we have to really reach very far to figure out once, when we've gone too far. It, yes. it doesn't feel good when what we've gone too far. Yeah. It's, it's really straightforward. When so. I'm on there arguing on Facebook with people that have completely opposite yeah. opinions, I'm wasting my energy. But if I can interject a positive note into a devolving situation, no matter what happens, it feels good. And I can tell the difference when it starts going in a direction that I'm like, okay, you've done, you've done what you can here. Now step away. <laughs> you know, yes. you know, what's fascinating to me <clears throat> is the fact that at the beginning I said I had a topic that I wanted to bring up. And of course the topic was freedom. Yes. And you brought it up right in the middle. It was like perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, there's so much I can say about freedom. Yeah. Well, we'll I'll, say, I'll say one thing. I'll, I'll say one thing that might kind of get the whole thing going for you. Uh, Louise and I were watching an old documentary about the Woodstock Music Festival from 1968, oh. and one of the uh, things that they point out about that festival, um, there were, of course, a number of artists who performed. One of whom was Richie Havens, and he sang a, a song called "Freedom." And what I didn't realize is that when he sang that song, he sang it mainly because he was the only act that had been able to get there. I mean, the, the place was so overcrowded and the, the, the highways were locked up and they were literally trying to helicopter the acts in because there was no other way for them to get there. And they hadn't wow. gotten there yet. He had just gone on without his band and done his entire set. And they said, we need you to go back out there because we have blank air for like the next X number of minutes. And we, we can't do that. And so he just went out there and just started strumming this one chord and just riffing on the idea of freedom. He invented the word, the song freedom on the spot at Woodstock. I love so that. Basically he just applied all the, the principles that we talk about here about what freedom really is, just tapping into yourself, just going with <clears> what, you, what feels good to you and turn it into a song in front of 500,000 people. <laughs> That's a lovely story. I love that. Uh, Me too. There, there's a popular pop singer who, who made that song Havana. 
And um, she did that in 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 a what do they call a recording studio? Just everything right from beginning to end. Just there sat down and they just did it and they finished it. It's like, wow. <laughs> it's just lovely when, the, when you hear stories like that. But going yes. to freedom. So, you know, animals have a specific life and they can't vary too much. As long as they're not hungry, they're, they're relatively peaceful. And, you know, they have a beginning and an end and they, they don't change too much or morph too much or do too much. You know, a bird only tweets one type of... Um, song that that bird does, etc. And uh, there, there's there's a very fixed limit, and most of the time, as long as they've got some food and shelter, then you know they're they're at peace. And, and and humans now are the pinnacle of the expansion here, and they have the ability to to go out and create so much stuff, and it, it's like almost infinite. I mean, we can have as many songs or variations as we ever dreamed of. There's pretty much no limit to almost any aspect and the one thing humans have always desired no matter what culture is freedom and freedom is a real base thing you know we don't we don't want to go to heaven i mean if if, if you look at it um let's say you're looking at the whole solar system and you're looking down at it and you're you're seeing all these different planets and moons and all the rest of it, and you see planet Earth. Doesn't it look like heaven? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Many many yeah. astronauts have expressed the same thought. Yeah. So, you know, heaven is on Earth. The paradise. But we've made it hell for ourselves. Right. <laughs> and the only reason we made it hell for ourselves is because, you know, if we were like animals and we just had some food and we were satisfied, we would just be sitting there all blissed out all the time. But we're not. The the two faculties that we have, which are our memory and our imagination, ha are cutting us up. They're hurting ourselves. We're hurting ourselves all the time with our minds because we haven't been taught how to use them correctly, how to focus on Yeah, I agree with that. And all the rest of it. So if you if you want to look at what we're doing here at the moment from, from the point of view is you know, if we went to heaven, we would probably turn it into hell, you know? <laughs> right. We'd, we'd mess it up big we, time. We'd, we'd take ourselves, we'd take our vibration with us. So we understand that from an alloy perspective now. Um, and, you know, we've, we've got this whole religion and gods and all the rest of it. But there's one thing all humanity will agree on is we would like more freedom. We want more expansion which is what freedom really means. And that's what Abram says. We get to expand. We expand ourselves and the universe. And so we've got this whole expansion thing going on in us. And that is the prime thing. If we went out there and just focused on rather expanding and, and just expanding ourselves and letting the ripple effects take care of themselves, that is what's going to really help us. That's where we're going. We always want more freedom. And freedom doesn't have a religion. It does, you know, it's not, it's, it's a, it's a, well, right. That's why thing. you don't like labels because yeah. that is what begins the kind of dissolution of freedom is, is the words and the labels and the way humans tend to compartmentalize things in the way that animals do not. So that's one thing that's always fascinated me is I feel like we're part animal from this planet and some other intelligence that hasn't quite learned how to coalesce with this environment. And that's why humans continue 
And I, I don't know if we are at a stage where that we're going to have some big breakthrough or not. But why humans seem to almost be like this tortured animal, it's, it's almost too intelligent for its own good because we, we compartmentalize. We want to label and understand our environment to the point that we diminish it. You know, Eckhart Tolle talks about this in A New Earth, where it's our intelligence, because animals are very intelligent, but only as much as they need to be to survive within their environment. Whereas humans have almost give, been given this overabundance of intelligence to where we're wanting to understand other planets that we don't live on. And we have this kind of uh, built in mechanism, this ego of wanting to dominate other human beings and control and be right. And so I don't know where this comes from. You know, it's one of those big questions, big mysteries. But I feel like we're part animal of this planet and some other intelligence that hasn't quite come to peace with um, with ourselves. And that's where this all comes from. You know, Amy, how I've broken it down and come to understand it now, it's quite interesting because it's a fairly new thing for me, is you now, if you were a completely balanced, harmonized, enlightened individual, you would see everything as it is. But you would not make a judgment on it. You wouldn't say that's right. That's wrong. right. And you've got all the stuff coming in, all this information coming in, which is trillions of things coming in. And then your mind sifts up. How much did we say last time? About 90% of it or something or 99% of it. It sifts it all out. And you've got these bits and pieces left and these bits and pieces, you start labeling. This is good. This is bad. Right. Instead of just seeing it for what it is. Yes. It's a rude person. That's it. I don't like right. or dislike the rude person. It's just a rude person. Instead of you reacting know? to it, exactly. like you said, in There's judging no reaction. That. There's just an, an acceptance that this is what it is. And it's that labeling that people are doing that's hurting them so much. I agree 100%. It's and I see too. when I'm doing it to myself, the moments that I'm most at peace is because I'm just in the harmonics of my life. I'm in the flow. It's the minute I my mind basically turns on it and starts labeling, judging things, compartmentalizing things that I will, my vibration goes down and I start experiencing life. It's almost like I'm, I'm locked in a cell. I'm, uh, there's a disconnect that happens. Um, and, you know, thankfully I've evolved enough to understand how to shake that off and how to kind of bounce myself out of that. I think but fine. yes, I agree with I'm you 100%. Um, I would love, I would love to see in my lifetime seeing humans moving towards this more harmonized way of living within themselves and therefore, you know, putting that out into the world. Are are you struggling to see the perfection of the current state that they're in? You know, I don't think I spend too much time worrying about the state that others are in. And I don't mean to sound callous because I am concerned about others. But I understand that they're really just a reflection of what I'm experiencing. So I put more on that. And I do still see where I am trapped within the mind trap, within the labels and the judgments. And that's my work to do. That's always my work to do. So I can tell when I'm getting, when I feel physically ill, things just aren't syncing up. And I'm very honest with myself. I no longer try to hide from that. That's another part of this process that I'm really enjoying where I'm at right now. 
there came a point when I was first evolving that I thought I just always had to be in this positive vibe and shame on me when it, you know, and I would almost even act that I was in that place when I wasn't. Now I'm just very honest. I have very off days, just like everyone else. I've just learned how to equalize it better and quicker. Um, and I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to what you would call living in that state of bliss more frequently. That's really my goal in this lifetime. It really doesn't stretch beyond that. I want to experience more of that frequently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a moment ago, you guys were talking about the, the perspective of what it's like when you're out in space and you see the earth and how beautiful the earth yes. is. And then you immediately dove into all the different ways that we make earth into hell. And I'm thinking to myself, this, this is an interesting discussion because what's really happening here is you guys are diving into the contrast and trying to decide to what degree you're willing to withdraw from making judgments about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's really something. Mm. It's, it's very noteworthy. And, and I, I think it's noteworthy for, for a few reasons. One reason is like you, you were mentioning a moment ago, uh, Amy, about how uh, you mentioned it a few times, actually, how you, you're hoping that in some way there's going to be like some breakthrough and, and all of uh, humanity is going to reach a better level and so forth. And it occurred to me, that it's a form of judgment. It's basically mm-hmm. saying, you know, this this life needs to be judged based on how quickly everybody moves forward. And the funny thing from my perspective is I've kind of let go of that a long time ago. I'm to the point now where it's like, okay, well, some people are moving forward. Some people are moving backwards. Some are moving up. Some are going way down. Some, I mean, it's like all over the place. I really love of... that. That's a great way to look at it. <laughs> I mean, Maybe what I, I'm I actually saying, it. what I'm actually saying this when I say that yeah. in relation to what I just said is that if I see the world more coalesced, that's actually just a reflection of that's where my vibration, my dial is now set. Yeah, sure. And so that's what I'm going to see reflected back at me. So it's really not about seeing the world in that state. It's more that's the world I'll be occupying when I'm in that state more frequently. It's a completely different way of looking at it. But, yes, I love that you pointed that out. <laughs> It's also tying into what uh, Louise and I have talked about a lot, uh, because obviously we've experienced the same kind of stuff you were talking about, you know, the, the vibe of the times and so forth. And there have been a few times lately where she just needed to have me sit down with her and reassure her everything's going to be okay. We're, yeah. it's all, we're going to come through those, this stuff all right, which I was very easily able to tell her. Um, but as we were going through that process, and we've gone through it a few times in the last few weeks, it was really occurring to me, wow, there are a lot of different ways we buy into this stuff with this judging thing. Yeah. Things that I, you know, I, I didn't, ways that I didn't really appreciate before, just how far we're willing to go to judge stuff. And, and then, like you say, Louis, we kind of cut ourselves up in the process because the more that we judge, the more painful it becomes. Mm-hmm. I mean, who is it? It's so is, true. Is it Tully? It may, I don't know if it's Tully or somebody else. Who is it who refers to the human body as the pain body? That's um, Eckhart Tolle. Is yeah. that Tolle? Yeah. Yes. And, and I remember the first time I read that, I said, really? That's your view of the human body? It's pain? Holy cow. Well, I mean, he's um, a... <laughs> that really... I, I really love that book for his explanation coming from a psychologist's perspective. The pain body is its own entity, the way that he explains it is the pain body is all of your negative judgments, experiences stored within the body that takes a person over. So when you get triggered or you react, you're not actually dealing with the person. You're dealing with this 
he described it as an entity basically mm. that takes you over that has its own and it feeds off of your pain. So the more judgment, the more pain you feed it, it create it gives it strength. So his solution to this is is you basically are never going to get rid of your pain body, but you can make it weak by not feeding it so much so that it kind of stays in check a little bit better. I think it's a really interesting way of, uh, of, of interesting perspective or analogy for this thing that does take us over. Cause you can see it happen to people where they just get triggered and they shift and you're, it's just like you're not even dealing with them really anymore. You're dealing with that part of that. Well, I mean, if you find it useful and interesting, then great. I guess from my perspective is, you know, at the moment that I'm thinking about somebody as reacting from a pain body, like they, they've gone into this other zone thing, to me that, that smacks of, well, now they no longer have any control. Now, right. it's, you know, they're, they're just in pure reaction mode and anything that's coming out is beyond their ability to have any say over. And I know perfectly well it's not true. Uh, no, <laughs> I know right. perfectly well it's not true. So, Absolutely. So, so when I think about this, this concept of, <clears throat> of defining the way human psychology works in terms of this pain body, I think to myself, so we're going to define psychology in terms of things being outside of our control. Isn't that, like, no, I can see what your psychology take on that for, for sure. I, I thought right. psychology was for understanding how we maintain and gain control over our environment, not how we lose it. I would like to take Eckhart Tolle's description and put it into Abram Hicks language or language. So he's saying that your thoughts about what you don't want create a vibration. And if you focus on what you don't want, you aggravate the vibration, you amplify it. And if you focus on what you do want, your what you don't want becomes smaller because you're not putting focus on it and the law of attraction expands what you do want, etc. where you place your focus. So that's what he's saying but in a very convoluted way that the scientists and psychologists would probably appreciate. That's all I'm seeing that he's doing. Um, Making it into an entity is what Walt is picking up on the thing that you don't have any control on. It's something outside the entity instead of just being a thought vibration, which you originally manifested that is hanging around because you maintaining focus on that entity and bringing it back into the present and amplifying it because it was all about the power of now because he understands that you know you can't amplify any of these negative things unless you remember them and bring them back into the present right and that really the whole point is to, to like you're saying focus on the present moment the beauty of it the not labeling of things um but it is interesting to hear so many different, whether they're psychologists, scientists, spiritual teachers, everyone's kind of different perspective on what, oh, yeah. what is happening here. That's why I love to read so many different books. And there are definitely like Abraham Hicks is obviously one that's brought us all together. Um, her, her work and Abraham, his, Abraham his coming through well, this that, collective, that... her ability to channel this collective <laughs> intelligence. This really resonated with me. It was like everything that I'd learned or read, and it made it so much more simple. Yeah, absolutely. It's, so much it's, more simple and basic. The Abram Hicks's message, beyond anything else, it's taking convoluted um, ideas. You know, some people were saying that Abram Hicks is just a simplified version of Seth. And I was saying, my God, thank God. 
If anybody yes. can simplify, if anybody <laughs> can simplify Seth, thank you very much. You know? I listened to enough Seth that I was like, mm, no, not for no, me. No, exactly. <laughs> Seth was a lot like A Course in Miracles. I just walked away from it with this massive headache and said, no, no. Exactly. Me too. It was just too much. And I actually didn't listen to Seth until I listened to um, Abraham Hicks. And, you know, she mentioned in an interview, Esther did. That that's yeah, right where kind of this had all begun. So I went back and I was like, ooh, no, this is a much more evolved version that I'm resonating with much more. Not diminishing that to anybody that obviously listens yeah, to Seth and gets something from it. You, you, that's what I mean when I say resonate. It really clicks and it feels right for me. That doesn't make it right or wrong. Uh, My brother is into Miracles. When, yeah. A guru once said in a book somewhere along the line in the many books that I've read along the way. He said that if somebody is telling you a truth and they're making it complicated, then it isn't a truth anymore. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. I like that. That's nice. <laughs> and that resonated with me so much. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This, this, I love it. This is it. <laughs> well, I have to it's say this simple, is where... It's not clear. People can't explain it with simplicity and clarity. <laughs> not interested. Right. But this is where I appreciate the Abraham approach because the Abraham approach is simple. How's it so feel? simple. If it feels good, you're on the right track. If it doesn't feel good, you're not on the right track. So if you want to get away from judging, how does it feel? Hmm. It's so easy. It's so straight. I know. <laughs> it's so easy. You really can't mess it up. <laughs> Unless you have well, a you can. <laughs> but, but this is, I guess what, I, what I'm trying to get at here and what I was trying to get to when I referred to the uh, Eckhart Tolle theory about the pain body is we're trying to gain control over the what Louis was describing, uh, this this uh, this experience where we have imagination, we have the ability to create far beyond what uh, other life forms, animals, and so forth are able to do. And it's almost like we were given access to this playground without being given the rules to the game. <laughs> Fortunately, no, us exactly. hits came along and gave us the rules. But but now we're, we're, we're feeling our way through, and we're kind of finding our way through. And so to know that all we have to do is just focus more attention on what feels good, it's our way of gaining control of this environment that we're living in. I know I have a very vivid imagination, but I, I, I really have this belief that Earth is some sort of a master class uh, challenge <laughs> game board for the spirit. And we agree to come down here knowing it's going to be the obstacle course of a lifetime. Like... This one is you're really setting yourself up. It can be heaven or hell, like what Louie was saying, all based on your perspective. It's like a hologram that's constantly shifting depending on the attitude and the vibration that you're putting out. And you really have to have some level of mastery to get through this. And you're really signing up for some serious challenges if you don't get a handle on things. So I can't help but see myself kind of deciding to sign up for this. And I'm like, yep, checking all the boxes. I'm coming down. I'm going down there. <laughs> Me and my I, friends, some of my spiritual friends joke about that all the time. Like, you do know we, we really we signed up for this. So anytime I get caught up in, I don't know, feeling like, wow, woe is me. Why? I always come back to, I signed up for this. I know that I did. I have a distinct memory of it. <laughs> oh, my. Wow. I, Amy, have you, have you ever read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? This is going to bring a <laughs> smile to well, it was nice. a long time ago, but the answer to life, the universe is 42. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So, you know, you know the whole concept. They, they wanted the answer to life, the universe, and everything. They built this huge supercomputer, and it took like 40 years or something, or 400 years, I think, more, more accurate. And then they all stand there waiting, huge crowds, all excited because the computer's now got the answer to life, the universe, and everything. And they walk in, and uh, they say, Deep Thought is the name of the computer. Do you have right. the answer to life, the universe, and everything? And, and uh, the computer says, Yes, I have the answer. And he says, oh, that's fantastic. We're so excited. We want to tell everybody. He says, but you won't like the answer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you won't like the answer? He says, well, the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Yes, tell us. What? What? No, the answer to life, the universe. And yes, tell us. what The answer to life, the universe, and everything is 42. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are totally confused. The what problem is... <laughs> You need to ask the right question. So we'd have to build another supercomputer to find oh, out the man. answer uh, to, to the question of what is life, the universe, and, and then, of course, they build planet Earth with all the humans. Yes. It makes perfect sense in my <laughs> Which is the computer. bigger computer. Yeah. <laughs> this is how this actually works. It's, it's course, nice to know that... It's nice to know it's going to actually give us what the ultimate question is. Uh, presuming, right. of course, that we don't get ripped off of the universe by, you know, <laughs> the, the Volgan constructor complete, complete trying to create a hyperspace bypass. As long as that doesn't happen, <laughs> we're going to find out what the ultimate question is. Well, you, you just know, whipped that was. one right up. That was very specific. <laughs> I enjoyed that very much. <laughs> I was explaining to Walter when I first read that book, Amy, I was writing in the card down to Cape Town with my parents, and it was just me in the back with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and we were speeding down the highway, and I was laughing myself absolutely silly in the back, and the parents said, what's, what's so funny? What's so funny? And I said, well, the Vogan construction fleet hung in the air like a brick wouldn't. And I said, huh? I love that. <laughs> I, I think you've given it the best description of anyone I've ever heard describing the five book trilogy of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's I actually the best need to go back and reread it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best rubbish you'll ever read. Yeah, I love it. It really is. It's fabulous rubbish. I mean, you know, especially if you if you're taking life, the universe, and everything as seriously as I was before I read oh, it. Oh boy. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely puts a light spin on it all. <laughs> It really does uh, help explain the idea that there really is nothing serious going on here. Yes. <laughs> it really does. It gets that point home to any of you guys who think this is a really serious world, serious topic with a serious agenda. Please read the book. <laughs> It'll change your that. life. <laughs> I just still love the fact they call it a trilogy. It's a five-book series. I mean... <laughs> what better way to just kind of mess with your head than to make a five book series exactly. and call it a trilogy? Uh, That's actually quite brilliant. <laughs> oh my goodness. The only sad part is that Douglas Adams is not here in the physicals with us anymore. Right. Um, although the good news is apparently um, his widow gave somebody the uh, authority to create another book in the series. And I can't remember what his name is. So I guess this is actually a sixth book that has either come out or is coming out or something like that. But I don't know the details of it. <laughs> Sorry. You know what I was doing the other day, Walter? I was driving around Basingstoke's Roundabout, which is in the book, which I read as a kid. Oh, really? Basingstoke Roundabout. I was like driving around there. I was like, oh, wow. 
Golf, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That was a cool moment for me. (laughs) (laughs) One more item checked off on the bucket list. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now I just have to have to go and listen to Vogan poetry and (laughs) the worst poetry in the world. No, never mind. (laughs) In the the galaxy. I I love what what, what they say about planet Earth in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, there's a little entry for Earth and it says, mostly harmless. No, actually, it's harmless. No, no, no. Then, then it was summarized. Then it was summarized in in a, in, a, in a new version because that was too long to harmless. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yep. Well, it was nice of them to actually add that, you know, second modifier. Yeah, at least there's some good. reference to Earth on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> In fact, to add the word mostly almost sounds like we're half dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) To who? (laughs) Ourselves? (laughs) There we go. But who are we really? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I have to admit there's also a piece of me that always wanted to meet Marvin the Robot. Just, you know. Yeah, the paranoid android. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Just I got the brain the size of a planet and they all speak <laughs> matey. Required reading before our next LOA today on Monday. <laughs> the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe. Meanwhile, half the audience is saying, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you don't so now that it, we have the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now that everybody is totally confused, I figure this is a good time to kind of introduce you know, a little promo message because, you know, what better time to do it than when there's like that, you know, massive distance going on in the mind. So for those of you who have uh, questions in mind that you'd like to ask us, such as what is the ultimate question to life, the universe and everything, that's what the LOA Today app is for, to send in those questions. You can actually address them to Louie or to Amy or to me or to any of our other co-hosts. And when you do, it works just like what happened when Deborah sent her email in. It gets included in the show. It gets included as part of the conversation. So become part of the conversation. If you haven't downloaded the app, download the app. It's available on all platforms. And once you do have it, take advantage of the fact that there is that form in there. It's in the goodie section of the app. And, you know, send in your question or send in your comments. Send in your your, your contribution to the conversation because we like it when you, when you contribute. It makes it fun. And it makes it so much more interesting. And it's, plus, it's great to find out what it is that's resonating with the listeners. So. Yeah, do it. Oh, by the way, check us out on YouTube, too. Hit the subscribe button there, too. Thanks for those questions and comments, Deborah. Yes, I love them. Yes, absolutely. Fabulous. And we also love the fact that Amy's back. So thank you for coming back, Amy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's been a couple, three weeks, something like that. But Yeah, uh, it's been, well, two weeks, and then I was off for a few weeks. And, yeah, things have been, but it's, it's always wonderful. I love all of our conversations when we have them. Well, it's not like you're raising the vibe because the vibe is already high, but you're right. just forcing the vibe at a really nice <laughs> high level. Just adds like to that. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there, there's a there's a complete difference in vibe when Amy Amy's on the show. It's 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 the combination of three people. You know, they often say in meetings and spiritual groups and all the rest. Yes. If three of you or more meet the Trinity, (laughs) (laughs) there's something about the third person, (laughs) but it is true. I agree. It does make a difference. I love it. 
Well, it makes a difference here. I can say that for sure. I know that. Wonderful. Because it's just, everything just goes wild, crazy. Yeah. I mean, you start off with aphantasia, you end up with lucid dreaming. <laughs> it was a really fun conversation and a thought-provoking one. I really do appreciate Deborah's question and would encourage our other listeners to definitely submit them and be a part of the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you guys also for the topics you brought in because they added Beautifully, really talking about freedom. Yeah, I mean, that's really the basis of it. And I think it's also good to bring in what you brought in, Amy, about, you know, we're dealing with all this outside stuff. It's a good reminder that, uh, you know, we need to go back inside and just not worry too much about the stuff too much. So yes. thanks for bringing that stuff up. So thank you, guys. Thank you, uh, live streamers who have been listening very quietly, but patiently and enjoyably. And thank you to all of our podcast listeners as well. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.